right, the good life. Good morning, church. Everybody doing all right? Good, good. Well, we continue in our series today with the good life, and we're raising some important questions related to that. And our focus scripture today and this series is where Jesus says, And it's recorded in John 10.10. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In a fuller way, in a richer, richer way. That you might have a quality of life. Not only eternal life and quantity, but quality. And, And one of the things we know is, even as followers of Jesus... That when we say the good life, we don't believe that it's some magical saying. We realize that bad things can happen in our lives. And as we head into 16, we recognize that life is is not devoid of pain and suffering and, and sorrow. And so maybe the bigger question is, how do we make good on living our lives the best we can for Christ in the face of these challenges. Because we know we're not exempt from challenges. We don't get protected from that. And so how do we step into life in a richer way? And last week we talked about acceptance and the fact that now that we are accepted by God, we can accept others. An appropriate notion to revisit on Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, somebody that stood up for civil rights for all people, somebody that said that he had a dream that all would accept each other. And so acceptance was one of the things we stepped into. This week, I want us to look at relationships and recognizing that God has called us to be better in relationships. All of life is lived in relationship. I mean, it may be that you have a spouse or you've got children or grandchildren, neighbors, co-workers, people in the community, people in this church, believers in this congregation. God has designed us all to live in community, to relate to other human beings as best we can. And when you get imperfect people together, no matter what you're talking about, whether family or the workplace or the church, you're going to have conflict. Conflict is not necessarily bad. It just happens. And how you move through that is critical. There was an older couple. They had been married 50 years. They hit that golden anniversary And in that small town paper, the interviewer was asking the husband, how is it that you all were able to sustain that relationship? How was it that you were able to get along so well over that continuum of time? He said, it all started on the honeymoon. We went to the Grand Canyon and we were riding pack mules down, uh, descending into the canyon And she had a mule that uh, would stumble. And she said that was once. And it was not responding to command. She gave a certain command. It wouldn't submit to her command. And she said that's 
twice. The mule stumbled the third time, and she pulled out a pistol, got off of the mule, and shot it. And uh, I said, why in the world did you do that? That's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Why in the world did you do that? And she said, that's once. How we deal with conflict matters. And, and conflict is a part of life. Cain killed his brother Abel. Jacob had sibling rivalry with Esau. Joseph was despised by his brothers. That's just siblings. Saul was jealous of David. Paul could not get along with John Mark. There are two women in Philippians that that Paul says in this love letter to the church at Philippi, can you not get along with each other? We live with broken relationships. I like to equate it to a broken link. You know how the metaphor of a computer and you click on an icon, you click on a picture, you click on a word, and it takes you to a link, right? Sometimes that's successful, but sometimes... It comes up that it's a dated one and there's no content there. The server's down. Or maybe there's distorted images. Or maybe it brings up a video that's fuzzy. Or maybe the, the browser says, no page to be found. And what I'd like for us to do is look at how we can reconnect those links because they, they become jumbled and distorted and disconnected, that being relationships. And so we come to this text that's an important one, and I'd like for us to read it, and it's Matthew 5, verse 21 through 26. And if you have your cell phone, smartphone, you can look it up on a Bible app, or if you've got, uh, if you've got a, an iPad or your Bible Matthew 5, verse 21 and following. This is Jesus, and Jesus is writing, or speaking, and it's being recorded in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. You have sir, heard that it, it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar Go first and be reconciled, and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, and your, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you paid the last penny. This is at the front end of the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount. And Jesus is preaching this sermon on a mountain. 
and there are those that are listening, and those that are listening are aware of the law. That's why he says, you've heard it said. Those who commit murder, those who have murderous hands, will be penalized. But I say to you, if you hold a grudge and hatred towards someone, you are equivalent to a murderer. I wonder if if John in one of the later epistles um, in the New Testament understood that. I wonder if he was hearkening back to this document when he says, you cannot say that you love God and hate your neighbor. Because if you say that, you're, you're a liar. I think what he's saying is, the kingdom character from the Sermon on the Mount is one that, that has a controlled anger. And be careful with unrighteous anger. Because reconciliation with others is primary to our relationship with God. If you bring your sacrament of atonement to the altar... If you're seeking a connectedness with God and you are separate, you are in a broken relationship, you're in an estranged relationship with a brother and sister, you need to think twice about coming to the altar and making it right with that person. And then he speaks to the collateral damage. You will be turned over to the judge. The judge will turn you over to the officer. And then you'll have to pay your dues. And so he's saying, if you hold a grudge, if you stay estranged from someone, that does not reflect the character of the kingdom. And your relationship with God is so tied, and vice versa, your relationship with someone is so tied to your relationship with God. Be careful of the consequences. I want us to look at two verses here that help us in the repairing of that broken link. I want us to look at these verses, 23 and 24, and how they can be a guideline for us in working on healthy relationships and rebuilding bridges to others. He says, therefore, in light of all that I've said, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go first and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. The first thing is to take the first step. In verse 24 it says, first go. Maybe let the jets cool. Pray about the situation and for that person. But the admonition, the command is you must take the initiative. Stop what you're doing and take that first step. Everyone loves Raymond, one of my favorite sitcoms. I know it's a little dated, but I like it because I think it's a kind of a template of how people deal with conflict. You know Marie. She's the mother figure, the matriarch, the grandmother. She's the mother-in-law. And she does an awesome job when it comes to conflict in that she always plays the victim. 
If something goes wrong, she gets upset, she makes the people around her feel guilty, even if she was in the wrong. Maybe you've been around the victim type when there's conflict. Or you have Frank, who's the father figure. He's a grandfather, father of Raymond. And how does he handle conflict? He cuts. He, he goes on the attack. He lobs insults. He diminishes the image of that person in front of them and others until he can feel bigger about himself. Have you ever been around the attacker who has nothing good to say? In fact, their words are toxic. And then there is the one that probably reflects most of us, Raymond, the avoider, right? He gets himself in a quagmire of of conflict. He tries to be a go-between, and he evades conflict at all costs to minimize the pain. And his theory is time will heal all wounds. It's interesting, avoiding conflict does not always, it doesn't bring healing because what happens is the can gets kicked down the road and and there are unhealthy ways in which we deal with it. We deal with it in unhealthy ways in the church. You've seen conflict in the church, right? All of us have. I've been in churches in South Georgia. All of them had some kind of conflict at some time or the other. And I want to say it's important for us to live to a higher standard as followers of Jesus. And avoiding conflict doesn't help. So please do not send anonymous letters. Okay? A passive-aggressive approach is counterproductive. Avoiding talking about things is not helpful. Talking to others about someone who has offended you can be toxic. And don't leave the church on a whim because of conflict. Because conflict happens. It happens for all of us. And so he says, first go. Before you bring your your atonement offering to the altar, first go. Take that initiative. Whether you are the one that has been offended or whether you are the one who offended. You have a responsibility as a kingdom-minded person to try to make peace. To relink that relationship. And, and the other is attempt to reconcile. He says, leave immediately and go to this friend and make things right. The message says this, then and only then come back and work things out with God. We have a responsibility to do due diligence and reconciliation. And there are a couple of things that I have found helpful. One is to pray for that person. 
It is hard to hate when you're praying for that person. I like what one person said to me. Tim, you need to understand that God is working in their life just as much as he's working in yours. So don't be so self-righteous. Pray for that person. And do it face to face. I know social media is a wonderful thing. I know texting can be convenient. I know email is helpful in some cases. But that is not the forum by which you communicate your conflict with someone. In fact, there's too much for interpretation. But the other is you escape what really needs to happen. A face-to-face, non-electric, electronic, technologically devised way of communicating. But you go to that person, you make them human, and they make you human when you're willing to be face-to-face. Find someone that you mutually respect Both parties, respect. Get them to ask questions. I have found that asking questions brings clarification versus accusation. Where is it that I hurt your feelings? Where did I turn the wrong way? Help me. As that prayer of serenity says, seek to understand, then to be understood. And then if that person initiates a response and they begin to put a foot forward toward building that bridge, not long from that, thank them. Say, I want to thank you for allowing me to re-enter your life and to make things right. And so he's saying, before you come to the altar, you need to go quickly and make things right. And then come back and do business with God. And let God do business with you. But in reality, he's doing business with you and through you when you reconcile. And then finally, it doesn't always work out. Gang, there are some parties that put no trespassing in the attempt to build a bridge. There are some times where it's impossible. And sometimes it doesn't depend upon you. And you've done all you can. And you can walk away and say, you know, I've tried to be like Jesus as much as possible. But don't say that too early. And then you have to entrust that relationship into the hands of God. You've got to say, God, you know my heart, and you saw the effort, and I'm going to continue to pray for that person. And I know you're working in their life just as much as you're working in mine. And so I give it to you. Really, that's the prayer we should pray all along. And so odds are, I would say all of us have some kind of estranged relationship, some kind of strained relationship relationship and we have an opportunity here come and receive communion come and receive the grace of God but it may be that today you need to go quickly and make that phone call it may be that you need to go make that visit even though you're in the right it may be that you need to extend that olive branch and make peace 
Ernest Hemingway wrote a story, and we don't know if it's true or not, but he tells the story of how in Madrid, in the city of Madrid, Spain, there was a boy who grew up to be a young man named Paco, but he was wayward, and he and, well, his parents put boundaries, and the father had had all he could take, and because he was so defiant and so wayward, he said, you're going to have to go. But he also knew that Paco would go into the streets, and it would be hard. And one of the vocations that he knew was out there, never did he want it for his son. Papa never wanted it for Paco, but he would be a bullfighter. And if you're not trained as a bullfighter in that setting, it's really a road to suicide. And so he let him go. And after a time, the father said no more. He has wronged us, but things are to change. And so he put in the newspaper an advertisement. And he said, Paco, meet me at the city square in front of the courthouse. All is forgiven. Papa. The next day, the father went to the courthouse, and to his amazement, there were 800 Pacos. Longing for a relationship again. Longing to be bridged back. As you share in communion, as we share in communion, Christ has said, all is forgiven. Now go and do likewise. Live in relationship with one another in healthy ways, in sacrificial ways, as I have lived before you. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your holy word that continues to challenge us, continues to push us in counterintuitive ways, in countercultural ways, to make peace when others would say, forget about it, forget about them. You have said, do as I have done unto you. Be gracious and merciful. Maybe today, Lord, there is a Paco that we need to call and then visit and allow them to reenter our human race through forgiveness. Help us not to think that prayer is for somebody else. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.